In our culture, we learn through stories. But what if the stories we hear don't match the reality of life? What if the stories we hear every day that tell us how to write the narrative of our lives actually lead us to a false narrative? My name is Tim Kroll, and on this podcast, you will hear real stories, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Real people sharing the hard times, the bends in the roads along life's journey. If you're ready to join a community of other real people who are writing the narrative of their lives, then go to narrative.live and join the community. Now let's dive into today's show. Hey, we have, and I say this every time, but I, I can't help but say it because it's so true. We have another great story, another great journey. Uh, Betty and I met actually, oh shoot, dude, it's been what, three or four years now, I think, that we met that long ago, but uh, through a mutual friend through Alan, and I appreciate Alan for all of the introductions that he's given and his group that he that we were a part of. Uh, I probably have to give a quick shout out to Alan with the play, don't pause kind of a thing. But anyway, great, great group, and we've met a lot of really powerful individuals, people that own businesses, and I know a lot of different pieces and parts, but I'm not going to give away some of your secrets, Betty, because I don't want to share that. If you happen to want to share some of those secrets, because I know there's other things that you do and and you don't always talk about, maybe we'll get to it. Maybe we won't. You'll have to listen to find out. But thank you for being on. Thank you for being a part of uh, the narrative and sharing part of your journey and part of your narrative. Uh, so thank you for being here. Hey, thank you, Tim. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So let's jump into it. Let's get started right away with the very first question I love to ask people. We just met in an elevator. I don't know who you are. And I say, who is Betty? Wow. There's so many aspects. <laughs> it's so hard to say, but I would say that I'm a creative person. I'm an artist and I also am the mom of a parrot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I love that the randomness of some of the things that we get and some of the identities that we have, but that's really, it's incredible. Cause I, I know what you do for a living and it sounds like what, who you are is, is just kind of an outpouring of what you do for a living. And, and maybe we'll get to it. Maybe we won't, but you know, as, as it is with the rest of the podcast and the way that we talk is we really like to try to dig in and say, okay, what were the beliefs? What was the narrative that you had before becoming an adult, before stepping into what you now live as who you are, what was that like? What, what was childhood like? What were the, the beliefs and the formations? And sometimes it's a, an, uh, an example. Sometimes it's somebody said something to you. Sometimes It's all these different things, and it comes together to, to build your narrative. So what was that narrative growing up? Yeah, you know, my narrative growing up was really interesting because I had two deaf parents. And my dad was completely deaf. He was um, discovered at the age of three months that he was deaf. And my mom was hard of hearing. They met in a hearing aid place later on and they fell in love. But I have four siblings and we lived in an extended family type of a situation with my grandmother and grandfather living there. My, my great aunt lived there. My uncle lived there at certain times. And so it was a huge home with a lot of people always busy. And we never saw that my parents had a handicap. You know, when you're a kid, they're your parents and you love them. Right. And you really start to realize that once you start having friends over or that sort of thing, that your parents are different. Right. And our grandmother who lived with us too, she had a, a massive stroke. And I, I was about eight when she had the stroke and 
she was left paralyzed on her whole right side. So she was handicapped. So we grew up in a, in a family of handicaps. But to me, it was like growing up at, like in the Brady Bunch. I thought I had like a Brady Bunch life. You know, <laughs> uh, our parents didn't work and we had no idea why they didn't work. We never even asked. It's so funny. We knew why our mom didn't work because no, most moms didn't when I was growing up. Yeah. But my dad didn't work because he was a trust fund baby with his handicap. And I, we never knew, but my dad would say, I rob banks for a living. Hmm. <laughs> and well, that, so, that was a natural thing. I mean, because we're kind of the same age and my parents never talked about where money came from. And anytime you ask, like, how much do you make? They never said anything about that. That's interesting that we kind of had similarities there. Absolutely. They kept it real close to the vest. We never mm -hmm. knew anything until much later. And um, I mean, my dad did a few little odd jobs. He was a, a, a lay reader at our church. He was my gym teacher in school, but it never lasted because he was deaf and they didn't have OSHA back then where they had rules around what handicapped people can and can't do. So the gym teacher thing didn't last long because the parents were like, well, what if my kid runs out in the street and Mr. Newberry can't hear, you know, and um, the lay reading, it was sometimes hard to understand what he would say because he spoke in a, in a deaf manner, but mm. he went to the finest schools in the country and he learned how to lip read and he learned how to actually speak and not like that, like most deaf people kind of would talk like that. He would speak like this. This is how I yeah. speak, you know, <laughs> almost like British or something, you know. Right. So we just thought it was completely normal. Yeah. We grew up in a home where we could blast music and our parents wouldn't tell us to turn it down. <laughs> that was one dad, of the benefits. <laughs> it was a total benefit. Yeah. We had a, a huge table at dinner that we would all sit down every night at 530 and have dinner. And that was when we would all connect and we, you know, they, they communicated and spoke and we had no problems. It's really when the shift for me was when people would start to make fun of them. Yeah. So, but what did you, what did you, what did you gain as a, a value or as a belief about how life was going to be run? How did, how did that interpret into your own life? Because you said it just seemed like it was normal, right? It was just normal to have that kind of a thing around. And it was just like a Brady Bunch. But how did that translate into the way that life was going to be run for you? Like what were the internal values? Yes, internal values are that at a younger age, we had to be responsible. If my parents couldn't hear mm. something on the phone, we had to make the phone call for them. Oh, can you please call this the phone company? There's something wrong with the bill, you know? And, and we would have to actually do some of those duties, right? And- we were protective of our parents, you know, in, in a way, now that I look back on it, right? Yeah. You made me reflect on how that was. And it was a beautiful thing, really. We learned compassion. We learned tolerance. We learned to accept people's differences. You know, we, we didn't judge people by their handicaps right. because our parents were really smart and everybody was smart, really. Like, you know, we, we all did what we had to do. You know I mean? I don't know. It wasn't like, I don't know. It wasn't a tough thing. It wasn't, it, we did a lot of things. We had a lot of fun. Our, my dad had, and my mom had great senses of humor. So they instilled that in us as values. So sometimes people would look at my father and they would talk louder and he needs to read lips. And if you talk louder, your lips like extend in a way that he can't hear what you're saying, quote unquote. Right. So he'd look at them and say, what do you think I am deaf? <laughs> you know? Right. So we sort of learned how to embrace difficulties with humor. 
Yeah, and so that's a positive thing taken away. Um, you said that there was a little bit more of a challenge in the way that other people were treating either you or your parents or the family as a whole. I, I'm not sure which way that direct or what the direction on that one. Yeah, it was mostly our dad. If if he would talk, you know, the great benefit was that he could read lips. So if you were in an auditorium and there was something going on on stage and he was sitting way back there. And someone would look like this and try to say something. He would he would laugh or react to that, and no one in the audience could know what they were saying. So it was like a little secret code that he he could read some from far away. But in a movie theater, he wouldn't understand that everyone stopped laughing because he thought that was really funny. He would continue laughing. So it's like he'd jab him and go like, "Okay, you can stop now," you know, like because you know how like you just don't know those cues, those those social cues. Well, he, right, he can't hear the other aspect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So and mostly it was when we got a little older and not our friends, but other strangers would like make fun of him or you could hear them making fun or laugh or giggle or stare. You know, my dad loved to go order food and he would, the people loved him when he went to go order the food because the pizza places, like we would get like three pizzas at a time, you know, or four because we had such a big family. And so everybody, oh, Mr. Newberry, Mr. Newberry, yeah, you know, and so he would call it pizza. Because he never could say pizza. We would even write it down and teach him how to say pizza. So people would be like, oh, he said pizza, like, or something like that, you know? Yeah. And we would just have to learn how to be strong inside and say it's, it's just their in- ignorance, but it's like innocent ignorance in a way that they don't, they never lived with someone who's deaf, so they don't understand what it's like, you know? Well, how did that impact you directly? I mean, like, I understand the impact that it had as far as the wholeness of the family, but how did that impact the way that you believed life was going to be lived? Or how did that impact you on a uh, on a personal level? On a personal level, I feel like looking back, it helped me to achieve. I became an achiever. I became like a super achiever person. I strove. I did a lot of pushing myself. You know, our parents were very supportive of everything. and they never pushed us to do anything really we made a decision on our own but i could see like by them what they couldn't do it made me feel like let me go out and be appreciative of what i have of the gifts that i have and the abilities that i have and what you can do instead of what you can't do was really what my whole life became what can i do how can i strive and achieve and do more and be thankful and grateful for like the fact that i can hear the fact that i can you know, communicate with people. I became, I went into communications. That's what my degree was in college was communications. So was there a time before that where you felt confined and then you, or did you always feel like that in regards to the fact of you could see what they couldn't do, but then you were like, I, I want to be an achiever. I want to be more, and I want to take, be grateful for the gifts that I have. Was there a shift in that at all? Or was that always something that you just kind of felt internally? I think I always felt it internally. Yes. Mm. My parents were, they were so supportive that they, ne- they never made us feel guilty that they couldn't hear. When I was a piano player, I would do re- recitals. My dad would be the one clapping in the audience the loudest. Now you think back and say, how did, how would that be? You know, here he is a deaf person. He might, he might feel like, well, I don't hear what you're doing. So I don't even know what you're playing, but he would be, he could feel like vibrations and he would tap his foot or he knows that when we ended and he knew he would just clap really loud, you know, I mean, he got the social cues I'm saying, you know, as time went on. Right. Yeah. We were in dance recitals. 
I was a, you know, acrobatic person and my, me and my sister, Debbie, were closer in age. So we, I wanted to do everything she did. And uh, none of us kids had any deaf problems or anything. My parents' deafness were not from a medical thing. It was my dad's mom took a drug for childbirth in 1928. And that's what caused his deafness. And my mom, she was starting to lose some hearing, Mm. but actually a nun boxed her ears because she wasn't paying attention because she couldn't hear. And then that was when all of her hearing went in that ear. So she was 16 when that happened. So my my dad never heard a sound, but Mm. my mom was able to hear sounds until she was 16. Mm. Well, it's an interesting life that you have have had growing up and having that kind of a scenario. But I don't hear any bitterness in you. I don't hear any negativity. I all that everything that you've shared has all been positive. Where did that come from? Where did the positivity because there's times I mean, you could have looked at that and said, woe is me, you could have played a victim, you could have you could have done a lot of different things. But where where did that positivity come from? Totally came from my parents. You know, they are the ones that that should have bitterness in a way, right? I mean, like what hand were they dealt? And instead, they were like happy, so in love. They're such great role models that, you know, we we really, I'm going to start getting <laughs> emotional about it. But they definitely, they definitely were the best role models ever because they were so strong, you know, and they, their adversity was not, was not anything that they looked as a handicap. They had strong faith in God. This is the hand that they were dealt. And that's how we were all brought up. So was there a shift in time or maybe even a point in time? And I, I know I'm asking a deep question at this point, but um, was there ever a time when you you felt regret or anger towards the fact of the way that your parents, the, the hand that they were dealt or the way that they were being treated? And and did you, how did you handle those kinds of things? Because like, like I said, the first part of this, and I, I appreciate the transparency and authenticity that you're talking, but sometimes I, I wonder like, if somebody's going through that, is there ever a time when you have to fight that of why me kind of a question or why them or why us? No, it's probably, it would probably have been more of a why them. And it's more of an appreciation of the fact that they brought us up in the way that they did, that we, they, we just really never saw them as being, as there was something wrong with them, you know? And then it really made us realize that when we look out into the world, there's so much that can happen to someone that would be really, really, really bad. I mean, being deaf, you can still see. So they're not deaf blind. They weren't dumb. They're not deaf and dumb. Although that was like what the thing was back in the fifties and earlier. Right. And so they were smart, uh, well-read. They, you know, were just fabulous people. And, I feel like, no, we did, We never really had that. I don't know if it, like I said, it's a little idyllic of a childhood that I had in that sense. It's a blessing. I mean, that's that's a generational blessing. And it's, we, we talked often about, uh, on, on the program here, we talked often about original family. And we talk about things that are learned and behaviors that we have that we learn from our parents. And then we repeat some of the negativity. But the, the blessing that you've been given is a, they didn't allow you to even think that way. They didn't, they didn't even act in any manner of what was me. That was, uh, Hey, this is the hand we're dealt and we're going to make the best of it. 
But in your own life, kind of looking at, was there any, was there ever a time when you had to transition and say, okay, the way that I'm looking at the world, there may be some things that are not quite right, or there's situations that are not quite the way that I thought that they were going to be. So stepping into your adulthood, was there ever a shift, ever a bend in the road of the way that you think life was going to go? I think so, because when I, I think my achievement thing was almost like perfectionism. Mm. And I had to learn that it's okay. I know this is weird, you know, because I just said I know and nothing was really that perfect, but I had to learn that it's okay not to be perfect. And there was a time when that was just not acceptable to me other than to be try to be perfect, right? And what I mean by being perfect was like in work, mm. right? Uh, just in work or sort of in life. Like, okay, did I get that part in the play in school? Did I become a cheerleader? Was I the captain of the cheerleading team? Yes. Did I do cheerleading in college? Yes. Was I popular? Yes. You know, check, check, check. You know, I exercised a lot. My dad was very athletic, so I'm athletic, you know, and did I exercise a lot? Yeah. You know, try to be the best that you can be. And then once I, you know, don't forget, I started working in the 1980s. And in the 1980s, it was all about Working Woman magazine, you know, um, that movie with uh, Melanie Griffith, you know, Working Woman or whatever it was called. To me, it was all about like, you have to use your college degree that parents gave us a college degree. Mine was in communications and theater. And you have to push yourself, work hard, achieve, do well, and show up at work, you know, work really hard at work. And what I learned was that it's not necessarily the ones who talk, it's the ones who listen that get ahead. And it's the ones who can actually do the work. It has nothing to do with what you look like. It has nothing to do with the clothing that you wear. It has nothing to do with your perfectness. It has to do with, did you actually get the work done? Are the clients happy? Did you do a good job? You know, that's the achievement. Mm. Um, one one shift happened in my internship. Okay, so let, let's let's kind of dig a little bit into this because I think this is interesting. Where did the perfectionist come from in the achievement aspect? That's one. And then two is you know, who set that standard for you? Was that your own personal standard of perfectionism? Was it something that was an example, like you said, from the movie, a working woman, or was it something that you felt like you just had to fulfill because you felt you were obligated to do so? Looking back, I have to say it was my own thing. Mm. And I was influenced by the culture of the time of the late 80s, early 90s, where like the Wall Street guy, right? You know, that movie too. It was all about work harder, not smarter. If you're not sitting in your seat at the desk until eight o'clock at night and getting in really early in the morning, then you are not good. You're not an executive. You'll never be an executive if you're not putting in the hard work. And, you know, I just went crazy on that. Like I, <laughs> I, I did, I, I, I did. I would, I worked up in uh, far away up in Quincy, Massachusetts. So I had a long commute and I had to get up early and be there for, you know, eight o'clock instead of getting there at nine. And then I stayed until eight because the traffic was so bad to come back that I would get home at like eight thirty nine or whatever. Hard, 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 long hours. That was a lot of reading up on what trying to be ahead of the clients all the time. That perfection of that is what my own thing was. It was like getting caught up, I think, in the culture or the time or and I, I think, like you said, I think it's maybe a little bit more about my own personal achievement thing, because that seemed to be my gift. I have to do this. 
I, I was always walking fast, talking fast, doing everything fast, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what, what knocked you in the head that said, Hey, this isn't okay. Where did, where did that, cause obviously there's this shift, right? There's this whole aspect of, okay, achievement for perfectionism. And then there was something that probably happened that had to happen in order for you to not think that way anymore. Well, I do remember one thing that happened, but this was as an internship in college and it, it hit me later. It didn't hit me right away, but it did hit me later that there was this big swirling crisis going on in a newsroom where I was interning and something had happened like where the producer was going crazy and everybody had to come together for this big meeting and it was a big crisis of some kind and everybody was, we were scared, you know, we don't know what's going on, us interns, but there was one lady, the host of the, the show, the television show that I was working on and she never said boo. And she just listened and everybody else was talking and ch chiming in as to what they thought was going on and, you know, well, how to solve this problem. And she just listened and I watched her and to me, she was not like a successful person. To me, she reminded me of someone who's a little bit dowdy. She didn't dress great. She wasn't like any of the other producers. She wasn't like anyone in the newsroom. To me, she wouldn't have been my ideal person to look up to and try to be, you know, as a role model. But the way that she conducted herself in that one meeting where she listened and she took it all in and then she made a recommendation to me, that was so powerful. She had us all in the palm of her hand and it made sense. She was the only sensible one when everyone else was stressed and going crazy. And that really stuck with me. So Later on in life, I started to pay attention to the kinds of people that get heard. And to me, I feel like um, that that was like a, I would call it a turning point where it didn't have anything to do with how you dress. Like I said, it doesn't have anything to do with that. It's almost like to me, the wisdom of aging, where now that I'm older and realize that this is okay, it's okay to not to get a little bit of more pounds on your body that you can't get rid of, <laughs> you know, or your hair is going gray or whatever. It has nothing to do with your hair. It has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with that at all. It has to do with your connection to people. Are you actually listening to them? Are you actually making a, an important recommendation from your expertise and your strategies about being strategic, mm. you know? So how do you flesh that out now? I mean, because it's, it, I love that intrigue. I love that story because you're talking about the fact that this person impacted you, but it didn't really, like you remembered it, but you didn't always, it, it, it was later in life that you actually went back to that point because it had such an impact and you're like, oh, that's why that's important. And that's, and that was, I, I think that's so cool. I think that's an incredible component. But now how do you live that out? How do you write your narrative now compared to previously when it was like, it's all about perfection and the hours that you work and the time that you're putting in. And now you're just like, well, that's not such a big deal. So how do you actually live your life? How do you write that narrative? I think right now it's all about prioritizing what's important. And I'm going to be 60 years old. What do I have? Like 30, maybe 40 years left <laughs> to live or hopefully, you know? So when you look at that, my husband and I have talked about this because we both realize that we're in we're in the later part of our careers and our lives. And what is important to us? What is the priority? 
The priority is family. The priority is hanging out with our friends. The priority is leaving a legacy at work, you know, to me. So I've been delegating. I've been, you know, working more on teaching. I want to teach people in my career, you know, about how to do good, good public relations. That's what I do for a living, right? And teaching people about things that that I know and can share with them so that they can be better people and they can they can uh, have rewarding lives and careers too. And that that's very important to me is to give back, to give back and have something that is a legacy to maybe help change someone's life by a story, by hearing something, a, a story that maybe something I've been through, an experience that I've been through that I can share. But I feel like my narrative now is about crafting and making the rest of my life be meaningful in some way. How? I think by leaving this, this teaching legacy, um, I started a school for people that are in the field of public relations, not to learn necessarily about PR, because there's so many things out there that you can do to learn, but to hone and do, it's a finishing school. It's the public relations finishing school. And to me, that's, that's really important too. So what do you do then in that in that regard? I mean, like, and this is obviously a passion for you. I can tell by the way you're talking. It's very you're very passionate and making sure that the the priorities in place, like you said, family and then the teaching. But so when when somebody comes in, can you give me an illustration or a story of that legacy or how you've influenced somebody that's coming through as a way of what you've learned on how to be able to be a better teacher and how to actually, like I said, kind of flesh out this narrative or write this narrative that you're that you're living? Well, I used to be a figure skater and I was very competitive as a figure skater. And I went and won a gold medal and things like that. You know, my achievement, my achievement life. <laughs> right. Well, and but, I, so I never knew that about yeah. figure skating. I know about the music and other things, but I didn't know that about figure skating. So that's news to me. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so one of the things that you do when you're a figure skater is you have to take tests. They call them tests. So you have to get, you have to schedule a test in front of a judge and you have to do like figure eights and then you have to do a jump or you have to do a spin and you got to do certain things to pass tests one, two, three, et cetera. And my teacher at the time, my coach could not make it. She had something else to do. And I was an adult, by the way, I was like 23 years old at this point. And she trained me as to what to wear, how to stand, what to say, how to introduce my little figure eights, whatever. And I was standing next to like 12 and 13 year olds and I'm cracking up. I'm going, what am I doing here? I'm like 23, you know, but here I am doing this. I go, I do my thing. The judge came up to me afterwards and she said to me, you're Diane O'Donnell's student. And I said, how did you know that? She said, I can tell. Now, to me, that's what I want. I want people in the public relations world to say, you graduated from the public relations finishing school. Oh, how did you know that? Well, I can tell. You know, I want them to have like, you know, I want that to precede them. I want their reputation to precede them or their skills to be so good that they learned it through a wonderful, and it's not just me teaching. I want other people to teach. I want to attract others to this school to teach in their areas of expertise because there's a lot of areas within PR that you can be teaching about media relations. You could teach all kinds of things in um, government relations, like, you know, you name it things that I don't even have experience in perhaps that someone else can teach. So I would like to have a faculty, you know, and, and bring this all to, to bear. So 
that would be my goal to to have that as my legacy and to have that carry on beyond me. Like this could go on and on and on and it could grow, you know? Mm. And I, I love that people know what you just said, that example. And I think that's probably the greatest legacy that you could ever leave in saying somebody that you trained knows, or the, the people that are watching the individual that you trained know exactly where they went to school and they know whom trained. Is it the whom? Is that right? The right word <laughs> <laughs> who trained that individual. I mean, that's a huge legacy to be able to come back and say that I know that you went to that school, or I know that that is your coach, or I know that that was your teacher because of the patterns and the, the lessons that you've learned. And that, that's just an incredible thing. How do you propose or how are you planning to accomplish all of this? Because I think that's part of your narrative. That's part of writing your story. And so I, I like, how, how do you, how are you going to do this big dream? Well, I've already started it and I'm getting ready to launch it. So I wrote all the 10 modules during COVID. I started that during COVID because I had time mm. and I got the idea during COVID time as well. And I wrote all the modules out. I started to research platforms I engaged people to help me make a logo and work on the videos and the, all the things. And I did the whole business plan. And there's a lot to it because I had to copyright it. I had to trademark it. I was afraid of someone stealing the idea. You know, all of the things that entrepreneurs go through to make that happen. I've been doing all of this while I'm also running my PR agency. But I feel like that's where the, the intersection of I'm still doing, I'm in the industry. I'm not just teaching it. I'm in it every day, just like the people I want to teach. And I'm, but I'm actually trying to offer this to supplement what people already know. Maybe they already had an internship. Maybe they have a great experience. Maybe they don't. This will hone their skills. Everybody gets a mentor too. So it's not like you just take these courses and you don't know how you did, you know? <laughs> so that's my other little secret sauce in there. But I went to the Public Relations Society of America International Conference a couple of months ago, and I, I launched it with a with a um, postcard that I passed out, and I told everybody about my school, and everyone's eyes lit up, and everyone started to say, oh, my gosh, so-and-so uh, in my office could really use this, and this is great, and it's not at all to compete with PRSA. It's more to just supplement this, this learning. So, yeah, it's already underway, and I'm excited about it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so, I mean, there was a lot of things that we talked about, but as we kind of start to wind up, what is something that you would like to share with those that are listening? Something that you said, if you don't listen, if you didn't hear anything else, hear this. And maybe it's something that your parents shared with you. Maybe it's something that you have. What is a, what would be the one kind of a takeaway piece, the mic drop moment for you? I would say if you have a passion, pursue it, follow it, follow it all the way because you don't want any regrets after to say that I, I wish I did this. I wish I looked into this more. Uh, the worst that can happen is that you fail and just pick yourself back up again and go right, go right at it. You sometimes hear these things. You have dreams. You hear messages in your head. You have ideas. These are all things that are coming to you for a reason, and you may need to act on them. And this could be something that you have as a passion that you would love to do. You can do it. Don't worry about your handicap. Don't worry about perfectionism. Don't worry about anything. It's progress, not perfection. It's pursuing what's important to you and not letting anything stop you and, and get in your way or deter you. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, all right. Well, how can people get in touch with you? How can they make contact with you? What's the best way? 
how do you want people to get to you? <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, the best way is by email. I think email will be great. I look at email all the time. And that way I can direct you to either my other websites, you know, for the PR finishing school or my Newberry PR. So that's Betty, B-E-T-T-Y, at Newberry PR. That's N-E-W-B-E-R-R-Y-P-R.com. All right. Um, and so we're going to have a couple of things, and I'm going to put this in the notes. First of all, obviously, the email. We're going to definitely do that. But the second thing is is to, especially with this finishing school, it sounds really awesome and exciting, um, but you've got two websites. You've got your PR firm and business that you're currently running. We'll put that in the link so that way if somebody wants to go directly there, they can. And then if you've got the URL for the finishing school as well, we'll make sure we have that in the notes. So anybody listening, if you didn't catch the email, you can go back to the notes. You can go back to the websites. You can actually click everything back off of that to be able to get in contact is there anything else you want to add? Because I mean, this has been fun and this has been cool, but is there anything else that you feel like, man, this is, I got to add this one last thing. I think I just realized that I'm saying this because I don't have any children. So I think this is my, this is what I'm trying to do is like, everybody's my child mm. <laughs> and I want to help them all, yeah. you know? So that's probably why I've been able to have so much time to spend on it. You know, my, my child is my parrot. Yeah. And he has his own Instagram, by the way, so people can follow him. <laughs> yeah. His followers all over the world. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> That's really cool. So, yeah. well, I, I can't thank you enough. And I, I love when people are sharing some of the different parts of their story that we don't usually get to hear about. And even in the, you and I, we've known each other for several years, been in lots of the networking meetings, but I there's still some stuff I didn't know, which I, I think is awesome. I think that's so exciting to be able to learn some of these and then hearing some of the background about your parents and some of the stuff that you've gone through. It, thank you. That's all I can say is thank you. I'm very grateful for it. Thank you, Tim. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So those that are listening, again, I say this and I, I like having Betty and our guest on when I say this is we want to hear from you because in our hearts, the things that empower us and, and, and fulfill us the most are when you come back and you say, hey, I, you said this and it really made an impact on my life. So whether you email me or you email Betty, don't hesitate to do that because those are the things that that totally uh, inspire us to move forward and inspire us to even do more and, and to give more. So if, if you heard something, please, please, please reach out. Let us know. And again, like I said, if you're only listening to this on the podcast, you're probably missing most of the communication. Our facial expression. So maybe you have to go back and listen to it on YouTube. But anyway, thank you again, Betty. And, and those that are listening until next time, make sure you go ahead and subscribe. Make sure you go ahead and follow us. Make sure you do all of those fun things that we do on social media. But most important, keep writing your narrative, keep writing your story, because that is what's going to make you have a life of fulfillment. Thanks for listening to today's show. But before you go, let me ask you a question. How would you like to be the author of your story? Take the next step now at www.narrative.live. Enter your details to connect with a community of others just like you that are tired of living under the false narrative. Finding your true story and writing your narrative, it will give you clarity, freedom of your day, and it just might change your life forever.